Our scripture reading for this afternoon will come from two places. Uh, the first is Zechariah chapter 3. We'll just read the first five verses there. And then our text again will come from Romans 8. And we'll read the last few verses there. So Zechariah uh, chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. And then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And, he, and I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they put the clothes on him. And the angel of the Lord stood by. Turning now to Romans chapter 8, and we'll read from verse 31 to the end. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and further is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. As far as the reading of Scripture, and this afternoon uh, we will focus on the verses 33 and 34. This morning we considered 31 and 32, and when Paul began asking this series of questions, he said, if God is for us, the first question is, who then can be against us? And now in verse 32, we'll ask the second question, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Or in verse 33, who shall separate, or sorry, who is he who condemns in verse 34? And the last question we'll deal with next week, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? As I mentioned this morning, we are looking at 
the work of Christ in His high priestly office, not only as He has sacrificed Himself while He was on this earth, but now as the high priest in heaven interceding for transgressors. And this morning we considered how if God is for us, who can be against us? If Christ is ours, if we are in Christ by faith, and He has removed that guilt from us and has reconciled us to God, then who can be against us? And he continues with that thought, looking at it more deeply here in verse 33. And our our theme then for this afternoon will be Christ interceding as our advocate. It's a little different than in the bulletin. I had to change it a little. But the theme is Christ interceding as our advocate. Because as Paul goes on here, he, he now implies from, from what we've saw this morning in these first two verses, he implies now that no accusation can, can now stand against his people. He says in verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elected is God who justifies. Who can bring any charge or accusation against God's elect? And again, we think of the, the, the problem of our hearts. Can we believe that God is for us always? Or do we always have that question in our hearts? And so here we, we think of what Paul is saying, who will try to bring an accusation against us? Well, where can we start with that? We know from a young age how, how people are quick to accuse one another. We, we so often see the faults in other people, and we, we think also of Job's friends who came and sat beside him, and they were convinced that Job had done something wrong, and, and so we also are quick to accuse others, even in the, in the presence of God. But how about our own conscience? How often do we not accuse ourselves, knowing our, all the sins we have committed in the past, all the sins that we see rising up in us? We see our inability to be able to live according to God's law perfectly. But then there's also Satan, who's called the accuser of the brethren. How often does he accuse us, not only bring those accusations to our own heart and conscience to make us despair because of our condition, but also before God, seeking to condemn us. But here Christ is there as the advocate of His people interceding for them. An advocate is someone who is there to defend you in the court of law. And here we consider Christ as being in the court of heaven, in the presence of God, the judge of all the earth. 1 John 2 says, My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so he is there interceding in the courts of heaven for his people, defending his people for, for all their sins that they've ever committed or will commit in this life. It's like he has that receipt in his hand showing that he himself with his own blood has paid for every sin of his people. 
And then if there's nothing outstanding, if that balance has been paid fully, no balance owing, he's saying, who then can bring any charge against God's elect? He is there to counter every accusation. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? I believe it was Martin Luther who, when he had all these accusations coming to him, when he said Satan was tempting him with this, he would say, yes, you don't even know the whole of it, all of it. I'm much more guilty than that, but the Lord knows it all, and He has pardoned all my sin. And yet this nagging question, it says, because it says here, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? And this might ask, begin, it might make you start to think and saying, well, who is God's elect? How do I know then it's for me? John says that whoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The question is not so much are you elect, the question is are you doing what Scripture tells you to do? Are you believing in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because our canons of the Lord also explain this. They say, by the fruits you know, by the fruits of election you will know. They'll become evident in your life. Even as Christ himself said, by by the fruits you shall know them. The the fruits of faith in Christ, the fruits of, of a godly sorrow against sin, the fruit of a hungering and a thirsting soul after the righteousness of God. If that is your question and concern, does this describe you? Is that you who are seeking God and in Christ? Because Christ has taken that balance owing and he has, he has paid it all. And he says, all that the Father has given me will come to me. And all who come to me I will in no wise cast out. That all those who come to the Father through Christ will be received. And there at a moment you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, and then then there's nothing owing on your account. He just takes it all away. And when your guilt and it's cleared by the Lord Jesus Christ, he paid for that sin. He says, your iniquity was laid upon him, upon Christ, Isaiah says, and by his stripes you were healed. But there Christ not only takes away your guilt, but He also covers you with that righteousness which He Himself has earned, covering you in that perfect righteousness so you can stand in the presence of God as perfectly righteous, as if you had obeyed every commandment and never had any sin in your life. Righteous in the sight of God. It is God who justifies. It is God who declares you then not guilty as justified in His sight. And when God justifies you in His own sight, and you're cleared of every charge, then you're also adopted into His families as His children and heirs. You learn by grace to call Him Father for the sake of Christ. And then there's no charge that can stand against you, no matter who or what is brought against you. Then God defends you as the apple of His eye, as His own children, And with Christ as your advocate, as your intercessor, then no one can bring an accusation to God against you anymore. And that's that example that we read here in Zechariah of Joshua, 
It says, He showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, referring to Christ, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. Satan, the accuser, standing there to accuse Joshua before God. And he can bring a list, can't he? The accuser can certainly bring a list of all our sins into the presence of God. What accusations can be piled up against us? But the Lord rebuked Satan, it says. He says, is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Is this not a sinner saved by the grace through the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes, worthy in themselves, worthy in ourselves, but found worthy in Jesus Christ. And so Christ here intercedes for His people. And when Satan, that accuser, comes to bring this charge against you, Christ is there pleading His own merits, His own work on your behalf. Because He's already paid that sin debt in full. He's already reconciled His people to God. He's your advocate there on your behalf in the presence of God. And then God said, Take away those filthy garments from Joshua. And taking away those filthy garments represents that taking away the, the guilt of sin. It means forgiveness. Those filthy garments is the guilt is a consequence of our sin. Isaiah 64 says that all our righteousnesses are, all the good works that we try to do are like filthy rags in the sight of God. It's a picture of our guilt. We're still stained with sin. And yes, the accusations that could be brought to God against us are innumerable. We can make our own list. Others can make a list for us. Satan certainly can make that list because he sees our wickedness. He even tempts us to try to lead us into it. And then he uses that against us. And so he tries to discourage us by saying, See, you fell into that sin. See, look what you've did in the past. You'll never recover from that. He says, look, you're still going to fall into this sin. See how weak you are. Job 9 also, Job said, but how can a man be righteous before God? If one wished to contend with him, he could not answer one time out of a thousand. We cannot answer one question out of a thousand to defend ourselves before God to justify ourselves before God. We cannot make one legal argument in the presence of God for why He should justify us based on our own works. Because we are guilty. But God here rebukes the accuser, Satan. And notice that Joshua stands silent there. You know, he doesn't say a word. But God says in verse 4, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes, the robes of Christ's perfect righteousness, so that His people are wholly righteous in His sight. He takes away that guilt, and He gives that righteousness of Christ. And then Paul says, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect. It is God who justifies. 
Yes, we don't have a single answer in our own defense, not one against a thousand questions. And so how does that leave us? It leaves us standing silent before God, knowing that we are guilty in ourselves, knowing that we are deserving of God's just wrath against our sin. Because Paul reminded us earlier in Romans that there is none that does good, there is none righteous, no, not one. And that should leave us in no other place but confessing our sin before God. Acknowledging our guilt. Acknowledging that we deserve nothing different than what the world received at the flood. Have you already brought all your sin to the Lord? Have you already learned to stand silent before the Lord and depend on His grace and mercy as your only hope of salvation? Have you come there to leave your case in the hands of the Advocate, the Lord Jesus Christ? Because Psalm 32 says that when I confess transgressions, then thou forgave the iniquity of my sin. We're called to repent and to believe, to confess our transgressions to the Lord. And His Word says, Then Thou forgave the iniquity of my sin. It's God who justifies, who removes that guilt of our sin, who pardons our iniquity, who removes it as far as the east is from the west, and who covers us then in that righteousness so that we can stand in His holy sight. And he can say, I find you not guilty. It's God who justifies, based on the work of the Advocate, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then who can bring an accusation against you? And if no one can bring an accusation against you, Paul says in his next verse, no one can condemn you. Who is he who condemns? Verse 34. It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Certainly Satan is expecting a guilty verdict to come down, to hear condemned. And maybe you as well stand before God and you, you expect to hear that as well, condemned forever. But instead, Paul can say in verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Because he who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God, John 3.18. So the question here today is, have you believed? Have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you not condemned? Or are you still condemned? because you have not yet believed in Jesus Christ. 
It's one or the other. The Lord Jesus did not make a third way here. And the evidence of your believing in Christ, Paul writes here, is that you do not walk according to the flesh. You do not pursue the works of the flesh. And so again, what is your life? Where is your heart? Is it in the world? Is it pursuing the works of the flesh? Because then you have to write down condemned behind your name. Then you have to realize that you are still condemned in the court of God's law. If you're standing outside of Christ because you're still walking in the ways of the flesh. But if you have fled to Christ for refuge, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ on His word and on His promises, then you can write not condemned. Because it is Christ who died, Paul said. God who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. Christ who died for the ungodly, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That just one for the unjust, the righteous one for the unrighteous and sinners and ungodly. But now not condemned because Christ took the place of His people. First, he lived without sin in this world, and he earned that perfect righteousness. And then he died as that lamb without blemish, without spot, without fault, in the sight of God, under the wrath of God. And Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've gone our own way, but the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And by his death, Christ satisfied the justice of God and turned away that holy wrath that was upon us. And when Christ paid it all, he did not leave a single penny left owing. And Paul says, and furthermore is risen. Christ rose from the dead because his work has been finished. His penalty, this penalty had been paid. Death could not hold him. And this payment was accepted by the Father, that justice was satisfied, and that's why he could rise from the dead. God declared by his resurrection that he was satisfied, that that balance was no longer outstanding. Christ is risen, having finished that part of his work, and the approval of the Father was upon it. And now Paul says, who is even at the right hand of God? Not only did he rise from the dead, but he ascended into heaven at the right hand of God, that place of prominence, that place of power. All power and authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth, Jesus said. And then Paul says, who also makes intercession for us. This Christ, this advocate, who fully satisfied God's justice, who was raised to glory, who is at the right hand of God, who himself is is God, he intercedes for us. He is the one who with his own blood and body has paid that price. He earned that eternal life for his people. And he is the one who has all power and authority in, in earth and in heaven. 
and he sits there now, and he acts as the advocate of his people, and he intercedes there for his people at the throne of heaven for all who are his, all those who call upon his name, all those who will call upon his name. And so Paul says, who is he that can condemn? Let them accuse you. Even your own heart and conscience will accuse yourself, but confess your sins then to God and bring it to this advocate. Because he says when you confess your sin, he is faithful, he is just to forgive us all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if anyone sins, John says again, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and He Himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. This God says now that whosoever believes on Him shall not be put to shame. They shall not be condemned. This is your, your place where you hang yourself, your life, your eternal life, in the sense that you, 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 you seek Him as your only hope of salvation not to be condemned. He is the only one who can deliver you. Whoever believes on Him shall not be ashamed. Have you ever clung to that promise, believing that God's Word is so true, and that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, saved from that condemnation that we deserve, saved from the eternal wrath that God pours out upon the wicked. Because Jesus Christ still intercedes for sinners today. He stands there between you and this holy God. Between that eternal wrath that we once deserved. And he gives eternal life. Because he took that in our place. And so Paul says, then what shall we say to these things? In verse 31. What is the conclusion then that Paul is coming to that we must come to? He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? If Jesus is for us, who can accuse us? Who can condemn us? Because He is the one who presents His own perfect work to the Father and says, look, it's all been paid. There's nothing owing. And here's my righteousness that I've given to Him. There is nothing that anyone can accuse because God is for him. It's perfect. No one can come and try to squeeze an accusation in here or there. No lawyers need to sit and discuss your case for hours on end. No individual sins or or appeals or accusations can, can then make a difference in the court of heaven. It is God who justifies. And God cannot refuse that intercession of Christ because it is His only begotten Son who fully accomplished His that salvation, who fully fulfilled, who fulfilled all righteousness. And He is accepted in the court of heaven. And all those who are in Christ are received in Him. That's why Paul can say there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And so the first question is, are you then in Christ? Are you in the mediator? 
Is he interceding on your behalf? Have you gone to him? But then also our duty is to come to the Father through Jesus Christ, our mediator and intercessor. This is why we pray to the Father for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God hears us only through the interceding work of Christ. God hears us because of the finished work of Christ. That work that he now pleads on our behalf. Come then with the realization of our own sin, of our own misery, our own guilt, our own deserving of eternal punishment and condemnation, and lay it all before the Lord, even daily, to confess our faults and plead the work of Christ that he has done in our place. Because he says in Hebrews Therefore, he is able also to save to the uttermost, to the furthest extent, to the fullest extent, all those who come to God by him. Who come to God by him. We don't end in Christ, but we go to God the Father through Christ. We come believing and receiving that Christ is the perfect satisfaction for all our sins and the perfect righteousness that we need to come into the presence of this holy God. And we come asking and believing that God's justice is satisfied for the sake of Christ, that all our sins are there paid for in Christ, removed as far as the east is from the west, and then you plead, as Paul says, if, if God has given Christ, will he not with him then also freely give us all things? Then every promise is there open to his people in Christ. And only in Christ. And there we come for every spiritual gift, for every temporal and bodily gift that we need in this world. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? And will he then not with him also freely give us all things? Beginning with the work of the Spirit that he promises that he would not withhold his Spirit from those who ask it of him. His Spirit that Paul writes of as the one witnessing with our spirit to, to give that assurance of faith. That Spirit that gives us the prayer to pray. That Spirit that gives that life quickening, that life giving a spiritual life in the heart. That spirit that opens up His Word to our hearts, that opens up our hearts to the Word, the one that prepares our hearts to receive the Word, the one that enables us to go out into the world with the Word, the one who gives us the grace and the gift to be able to be God's servants in this world. It all comes through Christ and because of Christ. But oh, then to live as Paul did with these questions in our hearts, that if God is for us, who can be against us? That if God is for us, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? That if God is for us, who is he who condemns? Oh, to be always in that presence of mind and heart, to know that Christ is there, that Christ is yours, that you are in him, and he in you.
Paul was led in such depths that we can only begin to plummet, to plumb. But may the Lord also teach us. And next week we will see further into these verses of what comfort that gives in his last question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ. Amen. Let us pray.